Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, hello, everyone, and you join us here today, uh, Tom and I, to talk about watches and to talk about fruit and to talk about both of those things with a special guest, because we have here owner, founder, marketer, director and uh, coffee boy, Richard Bentz of Studio Underdog. Hello, Tom. Hello, Richard. Hello. Hey there. How are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're really good. Thank you. Tom, you good? Yeah, all good. Thank you. Yeah. P- a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, well, with Rich, not so much you, Andrew. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Already, we're we're one minute in, and we've got Richard and Rich. So there's just a, a couple more, a uh, couple more uh, Ricky and, and Dick to tick off, and then you've you've got the, the whole team. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So it it says on your meet the team, you've got Richard the founder, Rich head of design, and Ricky marketing manager. So yeah, is it just the three of you, uh, or is there any more? Three, three musketeers at the moment, i.e., just me, but. Uh, yeah, looking to looking to expand the team. If you know anyone with, um, you know, with that same name, I think that's that's part of, part of the part of the culture now. Yeah, that's going to be quite limiting, but fun. And uh, <laughs> well, speaking of fun, what on earth are you doing here? What do you do? So what do I do? So I'm Richard. I am currently the the watermelon man, as it were. I guess <laughs> I've. Uh, yeah, created a brand in in the midst of a, a pandemic, and for one reason or another, uh, it seems to have struck a chord with the uh, the wider watch community. Now, I um, in in doing some more research into your brand, discovered as you said that you started in lockdown, and I was surprised because in my mind, the watermelon watch has been seeded. <laughs> For much longer than that, it feels like something I'm very, very familiar with. And so when I saw your message come in, Studio Underdog, I said, oh, he's the watermelon man, as as you have been affectionately become known as. But you only started in lockdown making watches that look like watermelons and other fruit and and things. How on earth does something like that happen? How on earth does something like that happen? Well, it happened to me. It 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 was a bit of an accident, to be honest. I... I I'm a designer. In a fruit store. <laughs> I was in a fruit store and that was it. I had a eureka moment and no, not quite. It, there was no no eureka moment. It was it was just lots of lots of baby steps to be honest. So I'm a designer, studied product design, um, and, and always wanted to go into that industry. And once I'd finished my degree, I took the first possible job uh, that that was uh, involved in design. Uh, that I could based in London. And that happened to be for uh, a watch distribution company. And 
at that point, I had, dare I say it, I'm not sure if I'd ever really worn a watch or at least I didn't have a particular interest or, or passion in it at that stage. But of course, I, I borrowed my dad's watch to the interview because you know, there's no way I'm going to a watch distribution and design company without wearing a watch. Um, <laughs> And did that did that job for for six years. Um, started designing uh, character watches, Pepper Pig, Darth Vader, you know, and, and anything in between. And enjoyed it. Moved moved on to some some other watches. I was uh, the the designer for for Braun or Brown, uh, a German brand, um, <laughs> which is a you know a, a rich 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 history, um, even in, in in the watch space really. Yeah, yeah. And then over lockdown, my sort of rebellion from from if you know anything about the the kind of the the principles of and the Bauhaus style style design ethos of, of, of the Braun brands. This was my yeah. sort of rebellion from that color and playfulness and, um, and, and fun really, whilst still being sort of slightly functional. So it was, it was pretty much just a, a design challenge and a project for myself during lockdown, during my spare time whilst the pubs were closed. Um, and I just tinkered, tinkered away on that, really. I think 2020 might go down as the most productive year in human history. Honestly, what, what a, an advertisement for universal basic income. <laughs> People go home and they start brands and they do cool stuff like that. Um, so we'll talk about your other watches, uh, other watch designs as well. But the watermelon one is the one that is forever imprinted in my brain. Uh, you spoke about Darth Vader and Peppa Pig. So so stuff that is uh, very laden with very litigious IP. Watermelons, on the other hand, they're free for everyone to enjoy. I was going to say the exact same thing, because when you said, oh, I kind of feel like I've already seen this watermelon, I had the same thing when you said, oh, we're getting these Studio Underdog watches, the watermelon watch. I was like, is that like a reissue? <laughs> is that like the keyboard tie or like the kitty cat clock with the swinging tail? It's like, is this, a, is this like a famous iconic watch? But no, it's brand new. So uh, yeah, that was my question. Is it like, can you patent a watermelon or are you one day going to have to be like Studio Underdog, the original home of the watermelon watch? <laughs> well, we'll see. I mean, I think, you know, inherently with watch brands, so much of it is, is about history. So, so to have none really, I think uh, can often throw people off. But, yeah. you know, it's funny that you say that it, it, it's almost sort of recognizable or, you've, you know, you feel like you've seen it around for a long time. And that was that was almost part of kind of the design process. You know, I wanted to use fun colors. I wanted to kind of lay out the dial text in, in a un, unique way, sort of break kind of traditions whilst also making it look somewhat recognizable and you know almost like you know you've seen it before so there's there's a lot of kind of design cues that um that i've taken inspiration from vintage watches um i feel like you know if if you look at some of my watches in kind of uh, you know in black and white through a black and white filter you know it, it then becomes more recognizable it looks like it could be a vintage piece um and that was that was actually part of the the goal, and that's what I wanted to achieve um, when I started designing it. So the case, the shape, you know, it's it's, it's very traditional. Um, the strap, I like to keep the colours quite sort of quite simple and and uh, um, yeah, monotone. And then I let the sort of the vibrant dial, the colours, and the, the playfulness of, of the layout kind of do the talking and it's a bit of a yeah you roll your wrist and it's a, a bit of a punch in the face really <laughs> nice 
Um, something I actually found, because you very kindly sent us to watch this over and said, like, have at it. And and I very rudely hung on to them for quite a while um, for, for reasons. And um, the consistent comment that I had when I showed them to people was like, oh, that's the Watermelon Watch. I love that. I'd probably pick the Desert Sky or the Goofy Panda or the Mint Choc Chip. So you've... I don't know, again, this might be strategic or it might just be happenstance, but you've created a halo piece that some people who are bold enough to buy and wear will buy and wear, but actually that's that's the, the eye-catching moment for people to then see the watches that they would and more are more comfortable to buy and own. Yeah, exactly. That was, you know, that to an extent that was that was done on purpose. Obviously, I wanted the watermelon as the hero piece because it's going to be the one that catches the eye. But when I originally launched, I expected, you know, the watermelon to catch people's eyes, but then they might sort of see the the goofy panda, which is the, the sort of the, the most traditional colorway of the bunch and say, oh, actually, no, this one's sort of more in keeping with my style. But to get visibility onto those, you know, I wanted that punchy, punchy piece that, that, that people would remember. But funnily enough, the, the kind of the, the data says otherwise, you know, of, of the, the watches I've released so far, the Goofy Panda, the most traditional that I thought would possibly um, be the most popular because it's you know, the most wearable possibly, um, was the least popular. And the, the watermelon um, with its yeah, the incredibly punchy colours was the most popular. That's the one that continues to be um, the, the one that, that, that people want. Um, and yeah, it's quite interesting to see. And I can just put that down to now I'd imagine, you know, my, my audience, they have a lot of, you know, or they have watches that, that tick that traditional box and there's nothing quite like the watermelon watch. You know, if, if you, for one reason or another have decided you want a pink and green watch, you're probably going to end up stumbling across, you know, across my brand. Uh, you've not got that many choices. Um, so, yeah, that's that's just seems to to be how it's ended up. Let's talk about proportions because um, proportions are something that I I would say is probably the most difficult thing to do in a watch design. And I see so many big brands getting so close and yet failing at the last hurdle. Um, one of the other things, the, the secondary appeal that your watches have for me, one, the colour caught my attention, but the proportions seem to be so uh, excellently judged. Uh, little details like the, the, the diameter of the case, you've got the big eye chronograph subdial you've got this the skinny pushes and the skinny crown even things like the gradient in the dial all seem to be so so well judged um you're a designer obviously that's your thing that that you do but there are designers at brands like Longines and massive companies like that who don't seem to manage to quite get that right balance what would you say is your secret source secret source good question um I think I think a you know what I'd credit that to is once I discovered the industry you know I was so so enthusiastic about it you know I'd read all the sort of newness the articles I'd look back at vintage watches so just out of pure habit you know I was just absorbing all this information and when it comes to sort of watch design you do have to have all these references I obviously had the, the freedom in the fact that I don't have a back catalogue to, to look back on, 
but of course I would, you know, I would see what, what I was attracted to from, from other brands, from vintage watches, what I was drawn to. So in terms of kind of the, the case design, I wanted something quite kind of, uh, yeah, traditional and, and vintage inspired. And then when it came to the kind of the, the dial details, I wanted to achieve something that was a little bit in between. And I think a good example of, you know, kind of part of the natural pro, uh, process of, of designing the dial um, in terms of its layout is I wanted a big eye just because that's that's quite fun. That's quite funky. Um, so that's where I started. And because the uh, especially making the big eye a, a prominent color and the, 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 the smaller seconds counter on the left um, sort of blend more blended in and, and less uh, obvious, it kind of instantly creates an imbalance. Um, visually in the dial. So I was then sort of, okay, I've got this imbalance. How can I offset that? How can I, you know, flip that on its head and, and, and give balance to the dial again? And that's when I came up with this concept of, of sort of staggering the, the text uh, at 12 o'clock. So you've got the branding uh, just above the big eye, and then you've got some, some additional text about the movement to the left. And then that sort of helped to create this this balance, um, as well as allowing the the chrono, chronograph hands, you know, to, to pass through straight at twelve o'clock. Because for for as long as I've worn a chronograph watch, I very rarely have the uh, the the kind of the the chrono hands, you know, moving. I'll do it occasionally just to you know time an egg or whatever, as as the modern chronograph is typically used for. Um, and, and I, I often leave it at 12. So I, I just thought that all sort of worked and it all kind of clicked into place. But that's just part of, you know, of any design, any design process, really. Um, you know, make, finding some issues, trying to resolve them and until you come up with this 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 formula that, that seems to work. And, and I think that's what I've, I've managed to achieve. I noticed that you use the word fun a lot and I kind of almost feel like it's this is a case of show don't tell you don't have to tell people that it's fun it's just fun I'm looking at I'm having fun and I'm like yeah this is awesome uh, and, and I think that's a credit to the brand work that you have done here to achieve that that's what you do you're a designer you think about those sorts of things what you want is a watchmaker <laughs> so how did you end up going from a, a really cool looking watch on a piece of paper or an InDesign or, or Illustrator or whatever to a physical watch that you could sell to people so that that would, you know, uh, I, I was very fortunate in the fact that, you know, I'd had six years experience in the industry prior. So I had, you know, I've, I've been to, to a number of suppliers in, in Switzerland, in the Far East. Um, and, you know, I, I'd made some some great contacts over that time because otherwise, you know, trying to kind of get a watch manufactured during lockdown when you can't meet people um mm -hmm. would would be near on impossible and and I, god i can't imagine how how stressful that would be whereas once i got to the point where i had my kind of designs and i had my concepts i knew instantly who i wanted to work with people that i had a relationship with um you know that, that i've met and and uh, and you know considered friends really so those were the people that i sort of reached out to and again i'd imagine a lot of kind of manufacturing partners would would possibly see, you know, see a concept like mine and just just almost say, do you know what, it's it's not a project for us or, you know, we, we, we don't want to work on this. But because I had that relationship and, and I had that trust, um, my suppliers and my, my manufacturing partners were, were willing essentially to, to take a bit of a risk. And, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's worked out really well. 
So that was a yeah, very fortunate really. Um, and I think that's allowed me to, to bring products to market relatively quickly in the grand scheme of things and and make the brand appear that it's been around for, for longer than it has really. Yeah, you've not been around for very long. Do you remember the point where you transitioned between, oh God, I'm spending a lot of money and I don't know if this is all going to go down the drain to hang on a minute, this is working. People like this thing because I, I see that you've sold out yet again. That, that must be uh, that must have been a pretty special moment. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, so I, I recently restocked the, uh, the the core collection in April and was trying to work out how many I might sell. But it's 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 so difficult as, as a new brand. You know, the, the data that I have is is minimal to try and figure out what the level of demand is. You know, we see in the watch industry, watches being difficult to get is is commonplace. That's, you know, my watch has been sold out. That's that's not by that's not by design. I'm not trying to make them kind of, uh, you know, I'm not trying to follow that model. It's just as a small brand, I produce them in batches um, and I sell them as soon as I, you know, as soon as I have them or, or, or once they're, they're, they're nearly ready. And yeah, in April, I, I launched the, the largest amount of uh, stock that, I, that I've ever kind of um uh, manufactured and and again stock sold out within I believe it was six minutes which is crazy wow. I can't I, again I can't <laughs> quite believe how many people are you know are missing a you know mint chop chip inspired watch from their collection but uh, apparently it's, it's plenty of people yeah I mean we're now at the position where uh, well, anyone who knows me knows I'm a stingy bastard and um, I, I've a number of times I've come close to buying the watermelon but I I actually can't. I can't. You you are, I'm going to put you on my naughty list of brands I can't actually buy a watch from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not not by design, not by design. So I'm, I'm working towards a point where they'll, uh, they'll be slightly easier to get. But uh, yeah, time will tell. And there's plenty more of, uh, of, of fun, fun, um, playful uh, designs in the works. And I'm, yeah, already kind of developing some newness, which I'm, I'm excited about. So yeah, plenty more to come. Do you think the uh, we'll talk about your new stuff in a second? Do you think that the the ability to write the word sold out on product helps with building up anticipation for the next drop of stuff? Do you think that you would see a dip in performance if you just had readily available stock? That's a good question, and I'd imagine that is a question that a lot of brands would love to avoid. But um, you know, for me, I'm I'm quite happy to to kind of talk openly as to to how I think that has affected my brand. The first thing is because, you know, the, again, it's not by design. They're sold out because they're produced in relatively small batches uh, when compared to the level of demand. And what this means is, um, A, customers probably feel more comfortable uh, that they are getting a product that if they don't like or they're unsure about, they have the confidence that they could either return it or sell it on. So I've seen even, you know, somehow there's there's a secondary market sometimes for, for the for, for my watches where they'll they'll sell for, for slightly over over retail, which at first I was I wasn't sure how to feel about that. But what it makes me feel like is in the watch world, customers are so used to not just making a purchase based on whether they they, they like a watch, they also will look at, well, am I gonna you know, am I going to lose money as soon as I drive it out of the dealership, as it were? Mm -hmm. um, and even though my watches are at a, at a, 
uh, are at an entry price point uh, of 500 pounds. I still think to an extent that's the case. So f- for people to, to see that, you know, if there's a secondary market for it, if, you know, I have it for a, a couple of years or I decide that I'm not sure about it or I want to move it on, um, you know, they can. So I do think that potentially has an influence on whether people would like to make a purchase because they know if they want to, if they need to get out of it, they can. And I think that that goes you know, typically you'd expect that thought process from from watches at a higher price point. But I think you do still see that, um, you know, for, you know, even for, for my watches, or at least that's that's a possible consideration, really. You mentioned new stuff. Can you share anything with us? I can share a little bit. Uh, I've um, I've kind of been up until recently. I've sort of been keeping it under wraps because I've been uh, developing some uh, some samples. And really, you only sort of know when a project is kind of going ahead when when you've got samples in hand. Mm-hmm. I can be the you know I can be the best designer in a, in the world and have all sorts of amazing uh, CADs on my computer and illustrations. But until you have it in the flesh. That's sort of when you know. And I'm happy to say that I've got some samples in literally earlier this week on, on Monday um, of, a, of a field watch mm. that uh, is in development. But yeah, I'm excited about them there. I've been kind of thinking about it for a while and really hoping that the samples w- would come out as I'd expected because this is essentially the second album. You know, people have been really enthusiastic about my initial collection and these watches are going to kind of you know cement as to what the dna of the brand is am i am i just the watermelon man am i just you know every new watch it's you know it's a pink and green green dial not necessarily i think there might be a little bit more to to me into the brand so yeah i'm excited about it yeah i'll I'll be sure to to share share them with you as, as soon as i possibly can yeah that'd be awesome um excellent what's the pressure if any that you've received to go swiss um, not too much, to be honest. Um, you know, I think I've, you know, I've been, I'm, I like to be very transparent, which I'm sure this it probably comes across even, even just in our conversation. And what, what I, the long-term goal and what I want to do is, um, is work towards, in, you know, improving my quality or giving, you know, better, better products wherever I can. So even since the initial launch, so since, you know, just over, just over a year ago when I started, I've made some changes to the watches. Now they come on a, a handmade uh, strap from the UK, a guy called David, uh, who runs uh, the Strap Tailor. He now makes all my straps. All the watches now are assembled in the UK um, by uh, a lovely chap called Raphael, who's based in, uh, in Reading. And... You know, I'm working with other small independent British businesses and that's what I want to achieve. You know, I don't I'm not sort of aiming for Swiss made a but or sort of, you know, made in made in Great Britain, because I'm not even sure if that's, you know, that's physically possible for anyone, let alone myself. Um, But what I am trying to do is take those small steps and be as honest as possible that I'm working with you know, small independent British brands and, and doing everything I can to, you know, to play my small role in the, you know, the British, British horology, really. Um, but yeah, lots, lots of little baby steps to to get there. But, but that's really what I'm, I'm kind of trying to do and would like to offer. 
you know, I, I would like at the moment the the movement I've got for these chrono watches is obviously the uh, the Seagull ST1901. More mm-hmm. than happy to to start looking at you know Swiss movements, um, and that's something that I'm sure um, there's 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 uh, some, some interest in. Um, but yeah, Richard, Ricky, Arvince, leaning a little bit closer. I've got, I've got a question for you. <laughs> would you be interested in doing a collaboration watch with us? Interesting. I didn't know you guys did collaboration watches. Yeah, nor did I. <laughs> no, no, neither did I until I saw the one on your your uh, the aubergine on, on your site. <laughs> so, why have you got a, a potential, uh, you know, uh, fruit inspiration or a, a favourite delicacy that you think would make a uh, make for a perfect perfect watch? I think we might do. I think we might do. I think this is a conversation, if you're interested, that we might have to extend beyond this particular podcast. Uh, if you're a listener, would you buy a Watchfinder Coat branded watch? We wouldn't put Watchfinder on the front. That'd be ridiculous. Would you buy one? Let us know. Um, <laughs> Rich, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you about this. Uh, um, we have spoken to brands more big than small. So to speak to someone who has literally been two years in in the game with his own brand, uh, it's absolutely fascinating. So thank you very, very much. Uh, thank you, Tom, as well, for joining us. And thank you to you, Divya and listener, for joining along as well. Uh, we will see you next time. Bye-bye, everyone. Thanks a lot. Bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.